As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. A little bit different episode of the Forum Club today. It is January 26th, 2021. And if you follow the Lakers, um, you know what that means in in the world of basketball in Los Angeles, uh, the purple and gold. It was one year ago today that um, we found out Kobe Bryant, um, the great Laker, had been killed in a helicopter crash along with his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna. A couple more members of her um, basketball team, their parents, an assistant coach, uh, a day that you know we all remember all too painfully well. Uh, I'm joined today by... Jovan Buha and Anthony Slater, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about Kobe and what he has meant uh, to the game of basketball, to us individually, to um, you know us as as basketball writers. Um, guys, I asked you both to come in today armed with one Kobe memory, and I kept it intentionally broad. Uh, Jovan, would you mind kicking it off and and, and you know, reflecting a little bit for us? Yeah. Um... For me, with when I entered the industry and, and started covering games, that was right after the back-to-back championships. So for me being around Kobe, there was a starstruck, you know, I've only been starstruck around a couple players in the league and he was one of those. And, um, you know, just just being around him, he, he had that gravitas that so few people have where, you know, anytime he's walking, everybody's eyes around him. and. Um, so for me, my favorite was uh, the Charmin practice. Uh, I, I know uh, Bill remembers that, but uh, that was one of the, you know, I just started covering Laker practices and uh, going to them for, for ESPN at, at the time. And uh, that, that was when he, he got into it with Nick Young and that was a horrible team. And, and you know, it was just mother effing them and uh, calling them soft as Charmin. And, you know, we've lost 20 games in a row and, uh, you know, then then he went off on Mitch Kupchak as, as he walked off the court and was just like, I'm, I'm supposed to be, you know, playing with better players than this to be getting better. And, and it was just kind of the, the perfect encapsulation of, of Kobe in the latter part of his career. I would also throw a 60 point game, the last game he played. I was there uh, sitting in the nosebleeds. So it, it was a terrible view from I don't know if either of you has actually sat in the, the, the press box. It, it is above the nosebleeds, actually. Um, and you know, it, it's, it's a terrible place to watch a game, uh, but it was an amazing place to get the experience and, and atmosphere of Staples Center. And I've, 
you know, I haven't been there for a championship. I, I haven't been there. You know, I wasn't there in 2010 or, or 2009, but I was there for uh, some big Clipper moments and and um, some big Laker moments, you know, in, in the mid 2000s. And th- that was the loudest I've ever heard the arena and, and just him going off for 60, all the celebrities that were there. Um, just the way he went out was was so special. And, and I'll never forget uh, just you know, for every person in the building was, was on their feet. It felt like for the entire game and, and, you know, it just felt like a momentum was building throughout it, especially in the second half. And then it was 40, then it was 50, then it got to 60. And it was just like, th- this is the perfect way for this guy to go out. So those are the two Kobe memories when I think of him and, and covering him and, and being around him in his last few years in the league. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I obviously never covered him on a day-to-day basis, but uh, as he was... As his career was wrapping up, I was covering the the young Thunder, who had become kind of a one of his late career rivals a little bit. Um, they the first big Thunder run came um, really was the last Laker run, or uh, yeah, you remember like the the first time you saw Durant and Westbrook in the playoffs together was that Pow. I think it was the final Lakers title team, uh, and those two co stars came to idolize. Kobe and there's even that funny story of of Kobe talking to Westbrook and saying uh you know basically like hey you know don't let Durant have all the fun you know like you you can you know hijack the offense at times you know and and Westbrook kind of credits him some with that mentality that, that Russ has always had but I remember the last road game Kobe ever played was in Oklahoma City uh and Bill I know you were on the beat this year it was a traveling farewell tour where you know how like George Strait or you know name your legendary singer will go and have like his final you know uh concert and and it's such a uh happy environment and um I remember Kobe came in and I mean we're talking about Oklahoma City fans who uh I mean they I know Bill you could probably speak to the stories of even going into places where he was more of a rival but I mean they were sitting there chanting his name the whole time Kobe I remember Kobe came in and they like presented him with presents pre-game and then he would hold these uh press conferences where I'm I'd never seen more local media at a regular season game in Oklahoma City than like every news station you know channel five channel seven channel nine is like all there to like do an opponent's pre-game media session that they have to turn into like a makeshift like NBA Finals press conference because there's that many people there. Um, and he was so good in those pressers because, I mean, they stunk that year. He, there was no competitive juice to it. Byron Scott was basically their coach to like guide Kobe through this farewell tour. And he was like, those are some of the best press conferences. I've sat through it. It was just so reflective. And, uh, you know, you could get him on himself, but you could also get him, hey, you know, give us a little bit on, you know, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. And he would go for two minutes on some, like, really dense stuff. And uh, that, so that is probably, I've never seen anything before or after like that where it was like this season-long coronation of a legend. Dwayne Wade kind of had that, but Kobe was a different level of it. And, and I have stories after that that go with the Warriors, but Bill, I'd like to probably get your perspective since you covered that whole farewell season. Yeah, you know what's um, unfortunate for me just personally about that season is at the time I was working in a newspaper that was uh, going through bankruptcy and looking for a, a buyer, was looking, you know, was, was going through an owner, ownership change. And you know, budget cuts that year meant that um, I did not travel full time with the team. I think I might have gone to like five road games that year. And so I actually ended up covering, you know, kind of um, 
foreshadowing the year we're having now, covering a lot of um, road games from my couch. And so I would sit at home and I would watch a lot of those um, press conferences. And it I, I, like just as someone who had you know had the opportunity to cover um, you know the last couple of years of Kobe's career, and finally you know there's a season where he's going to play you know a majority of games finally, and not to kind of be on that journey was you know really bittersweet for me personally. But I was at that game in Oklahoma City that you're talking about. And, you know, that was, you know, one of the few, few experiences I got on the road of kind of that, um, that intense, you know, crush of um, local um, media interest, you know, the, the makeshift press room that you described is exactly like, you know, a finals press room. Um, and it was completely full. I remember, I remember I was standing off to the left side, I couldn't even get a seat. And, um, you know, that was, you know, the whole, the whole year became this, you know, like you said, traveling farewell tour and you know i remember like a 15 win team or whatever oh yeah they went they ended up with 17 wins but only because they won barely in that last game against utah when he scored 60 and i just remember the circus nature of it because everybody wanted you know one more piece of kobe because he had meant so much to so many people in different ways throughout the course of his career and you know there'd been so much of it you know like you know if you were a fan of basketball at some point you know kobe bryant at some point over the last 20 years, at some point, Kobe Bryant broke your heart. Like it just, it happened to you. You know, I've talked a lot about, you know, my childhood and, you know, I grew up in the Northwest and, you know, those two early 2000s Blazer teams were, you know, everything to me. And, you know, Kobe Bryant was the, the biggest villain you could ever imagine. And, you know, he had that one game, you know, going into the playoffs where he hit the game winners or he hit the, 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 sh- the threes to force overtime and the three to, to win it in overtime. I mean, it just, you know, staggering levels of um, being able to rise to the occasion and perform. And, you know, personally, he broke my heart so many times as just a basketball fan. And, you know, one of the, you know, things I you know was most grateful for as a, as a beat writer was, you know, having the opportunity to tell Kobe that and, and joke about it and say, you know, you ruined my childhood. And I remember I told him that on the night that he, um, that he scored 60 and, you know, Jovan, you might've been here for this Slater. I know you were covering uh, the 73rd win in Oakland, but after the 60 point game, Kobe goes back out onto the court and there's photos of this all over social media today, you know, different people posting, um, posting different versions of this, but Kobe stood at center court, took a ton of photos with his family. And then members of the media kind of all kind of had a, an opportunity to sort of, you know, step forward and, and, you know, congratulate him and, and, you know, say, say farewell basically. And, you know, I remember Jay Adande who, um, you know, is at Northwestern now, but was, um, you know, obviously at ESPN, uh, walked up and said, you know, Hey, congrats on the 60 points, but really 50 shots, Kobe, really 50. And, and, you know, Kobe kind of, you know, did his usual, his usual, like, uh, I am a shooting guard. Shooting is in the name. And when you consider how hard those last three years were, how much work it took for him to even get on the court, you know, the joy that I think he had in that last year when he was able to go to these cities and he was able to say goodbye to all these arenas and these fan bases. And it was insane to, like, see him getting cheered and then chanting his name, you know, in all these places where he'd been reviled, you know, at least as a competitor. And the only one that like even like tried to take a different approach, I feel like was, was in Portland because I think the Blazers said like, we will honor you the same way we've always tried to over 20 years by beating you. And like, I remember like some Laker fans were like, Hey, that's not very respectful of this guy. who's like on his way out. But um, you know, everyone else, you know, it was very like, you know, it was, you know, like, like the Pope was, you know, 
was coming through town. You know, everybody turned out just you know to to catch a glimpse of him, and um, you know we just obviously didn't know at the time how fleeting those opportunities were were going to be. And and just I guess one more story real quick. Um, I saw Kobe like ten days or two weeks before before um, the accident, and he was doing an event with Body Armor uh, at at uh, the the uh, LAFC stadium in Los Angeles. They were um, announcing that body armor was going to be the official sports drink of of the mls and it was you know lebron was closing in on kobe's um, scoring mark he was about to pass kobe for third on the scoring list but he was still a couple weeks away and i, th- I had this idea that i was like i was going to be the only reporter to catch kobe you know one-on-one to ask him about um the, the scoring mark and so like you know i figured found out using this promotional event at mls with the mls and i got you know into that event and, you know, I ended up chasing him down and, and you know, we, we spent a couple minutes talking about, you know, LeBron and the scoring mark. And, you know, he was generous with his time. And but we also talked about like our kids, you know, his youngest daughter was born just a couple months after my youngest son was born. And like, you know, I remember just like, you know, talking about like how much like our lives had changed since, you know, I had covered him before. You know, he had two daughters, you know, at the end of his career. But, you know, he'd really kind of become this, you know family man on steroids really you know in the in the few years since he'd last played and you know so i mean you know personally and i i know this is not a relatable experience for most people you know i feel very fortunate that i had a at least a small personal relationship with the guy enough that he knew me and knew my name and could say hello but like personally like i really treasure that just to see him in his element at that that stage of his life and you know like that is you know something i'll tell my kids about you know as soon as they're old enough to really understand the the magnitude of you know his impact and, and the tragedy and you know um, so I'm grateful for that. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com/courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So I covered really the you know let's the the couple seasons after Kobe retired the Warriors were the story of the league Durant's there at that point um, they're the Bulls of of their own era and I remember one of the things with them was like they didn't respect that many opponents like they did and didn't but like particularly quote wise like if you ask them about other opposing stars post game you weren't typically gonna get anything too gracious or, or deep you know I remember one time somebody asked uh, Duran about like Luca, you know, as a future all-star, he kind of scoffed at it a little bit. It was just, I mean, they were just like a tough, hardened veteran team that was in the spotlight. Like they were the story. Um, and at the same time, the Lakers obviously were going through a massive rebuild, weren't good. I mean, it was like top of the conference, bottom of the conference, but I do remember the NBA, I think purposely, 
or the Lakers, I should say, purposely for marketing purposes, um, did Kobe's jersey retirement on a, a game that the Warriors were in L.A. for, mm-hmm. and they retired 8-24, and 24, which was like a new thing by itself, right? A franchise retiring two different numbers. Um, and in the lead-up to that, and maybe like the 10 days in advance, I went around, because you know we knew it was coming, I went around the Warriors' locker room over uh, during a four-game East Coast road trip. I remember doing this in Miami and the Charlotte locker room, and talked to each like veteran and and even the coaching staff uh which included mike brown steve kerr about like you know i was like you know give me the kobe memory uh that you most remember and then which kobe did you like more eight or 24 and it like they all had vivid memories and unbelievable amount of respect remember this Kobe's alive at the time, so this isn't like some post-mortem, you know, memories. I mean, they're talking about still an opponent that had slayed them all so many times. And, I mean, you go down the list, guys that you never see stop and sit there and really think post-game, like, you know, David West and Andre Guadalla, I did in the same locker room post-game. And they were sitting there, like, talking about Kobe scaring them as young players. Andre Guadalla told some great story about when he was in Philadelphia when he was younger and, um, he had like two weeks earlier in LA had defended Kobe very well. Um, and the Sixers had beaten the Lakers and Phil Jackson gave some quote in the paper about how like Andre was, a, you know, a young Andre Iguodala was like a perfect type of defender for Kobe Bryant, something like that. Or maybe it was something that either he did or Aaron McKee said that. Uh, and Kobe, then they go to Philadelphia two weeks later and Kobe comes into the visiting locker room pregame and Iguodala is not there, but he tells, um the older philly teammates tell him i'm giving him 50 tonight and then he goes out and like just dominates iguodala and that's if you know andre iguodala he's only delivering that story and that quote glowingly about kobe Bryant. there's not another player in the world he would you know tell on the record to and he's telling that story in david west who similar type you know aging veteran you know enforcer personality is sit there like laughing about it and then he's telling a story about uh, you know, Kobe forearm checking him as he's like a young hornet. And like, it, it was just, I always found it so interesting in the talking to all those guys in the lead up to that game, just like the type of stories they would deliver about Kobe so glowingly. And then they went and uh, yeah, I remember, were you there at Jer- that Jersey retirement night where they did two numbers? I was, I remember part of like Kobe's farewell tour was that there was a a real question of like, will they retire eight or will they retire 24? I mean, you can't retire two numbers. That's never been done, right? Like, I mean, how do you retire two numbers for one guy? And then it, you know, just sort of became, you know, the natural obvious thing to do because I mean, I mean, listen, like Kobe was a basketball player of excess, right? Like him going out on 50 shots is just a perfect bookend to his career. And similarly, him having two uh, jerseys retired for himself. It's very representative of kind of his, you know, spirit, you know, keep shooting, you know, and the fact that you could distill his career into kind of two very distinct chapters. I mean, you could do more than two, but that, you know, he played a 20 year career and he played 10 years in eight, 10 years in 24, and that both of those will hang um, over Staples Center forever is very fitting. And Jeannie Buss, you know, and I'm sure many other people, but I remember Jeannie Buss saying that if Kobe Bryant were two basketball players, if Kobe 8 and Kobe 24 were just two different guys, they would each have earned having their jersey retired at Staples Center for their accomplishments in those numbers. So it was fitting. You know, I'm not sure if that was the first time. That must have been the first time Kobe would come back to Staples Center because I believe it was just the next season, right? It was 2016. I think. 
I think so. it was either one or two time, years later. Time really I, blends together for me, so I, I, I'm sorry I can't remember if it was 2016 or 2017. But you know, Kobe didn't come to Staples Center a lot. You know, after his retirement, like I don't think it was half a dozen times. It might have been five, but he came twice last season. Obviously, um, before um, he came with Gigi, and one of those games was uh, to see Trey Young and the Hawks. And I remember you know, it kind of got billed as Kobe coming to see LeBron and AD. And in reality, like Gigi loved Trey Young, like she loved watching Trey Young play. And so that was the game that they came to. And I remember, you know, again, at that at that MLS event, you know, where I last spoke to Kobe, I mean, saying something to him about that. And like, you know, this cool that like, you know, he took her out to see Trey Young and he was just like gushing about like how much she loved the game and how much she loved, you know, studying guys like Trey Young. And I just remember I, I can just hear him in, in I can just hear in my head him saying she loves it, man. She loves it. And like it just, you know, and I, I think that's part of what has made this loss so difficult for people to really process and, and comprehend is, you know, losing Kobe Bryant, who, you know, had a lot of decades of, you know, inspiration and, you know, shaping of lives ahead of him is already, in, you know, incomprehensible. But then also the loss of, you know, three, you know, young women who were, you know, in addition to basketball players are just bright lights, you know, in, in their, in the world. Um, you know, it just, and, and obviously all the other family members and everything else, but it, it's the scope and of the tragedy, I think that is the hardest to really process. The Athletic Today has, you know, several stories about Kobe kind of looking back on his career, his life, and um, of course the, the tragedy. And, you know, one of those, uh, Jovan, you and I uh, collaborated on, and we reached out to dozens of people asking about where they were when they found out that Kobe had died. And the thought behind that was, you know, there are seminal moments in that every generation experiences where you will always remember where you were when you learned of this event. And, you know, and I don't mean to equate it with any other single tragedy, but my parents, my parents' generation, you know, they all can tell you where they were when they learned that um, John F. Kennedy was shot. Many of us, you know, 9-11, we will always remember. And for people who were invested in Kobe Bryant, they will always remember, you know, the moment they found out. And and Jovan, you and I reached out to just so many people, and we included a lot of perspectives in a story that is up right now. Before I get your thoughts on those interviews we did, I just wanted to share a few of those voices. I was in the barber shop, the barber's chair on Rose Avenue, and a lady walked by the barber shop. The door was open, and she was crying. And she says, have you guys heard what's happened? And she went on to explain. She had heard, and she said, it's all over the Internet. And the first thing I did was, you know, go to my phone to check out the news to Google, et cetera, and nothing yeah. popped up. And then about 10 minutes later, you know, it, it was all over CNN, et cetera, and um, difficult day to do, indeed, difficult, very difficult day. My experience with Kobe was unique, and I'm very grateful for the experience, and I think about him all the time when I see other players, and I think about his attention to detail, how he was meticulous, and his ability to... Um, learn in the game even in his 20th year he continued to learn he was his curiosity level i thought was was superb so i'll always remember him about that you know it's too big a moment to process as it as you hear it more disbelief like everybody i don't think my emotions were i mean everybody's you hear about a tragic early young death it's 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 all bad um but he he, he especially because 
you know, the, the Toby personified a bigger than life. Um, just everything about him was was kind of invincible. That's that's who he was. That's what he projected. So you just you just um, personally just couldn't believe anything would befall him if if, if I would have been asked kind of who's going to live forever, I might have chosen him. So just um, still, you know, I, to be honest, you don't, I don't know. I don't think you just get over that in a year. I don't think you ever get over it, to be honest. Uh, Toby's legacy, I think, just could be defined in kind of his his passion for basketball. I mean, he loved to compete. He loved to play. And a lot of guys don't. And so his uniqueness of loving to compete in practice, loving to compete, in shooting drills, loving to compete in games, finals games, preseason games. He just, he he couldn't live without competition. And uh, I think that defined him. And people around him, he made them better. Uh, he, he had a way about amplifying everybody's talents and making them rise up to his standards. All I remember was a, uh, a just a complete silence taking over the gym. And several players, uh, Steph Curry included, just dropped to the floor and laid down. And, um, you know, some guys were crying. Some guys were just uh, sitting there stunned. And we all sat in silence for a good 10 minutes before anybody could even move. One of the most uh, heartbreaking uh, moments um, that I can ever remember. I think Kobe's legacy uh, for me is one of passion it's not not his brilliance. His brilliance was obvious. He's one of the great players in the history of the game. You know, probably a top five player in all time in the NBA. Everybody knows about his accomplishments, his championships. Uh, but it's the passion that he put into the game that is his legacy. He worked so hard on his game. He wanted to win so badly. He wanted to be the best so badly. And he committed to that every single day. And I think that commitment... Um, to excellence and the commitment to the actual work that it takes to achieve excellence is Kobe's true legacy. Yovan, in your process of speaking to people and you know emailing people and, and kind of collating uh, these responses, what was your takeaway just from kind of the collection of voices we got? I think just how devastating this was. You said it well, like we don't want to equate this to anything else. But I think if you look at the past couple of decades in terms of, I'm not trying to make any comparisons, but I, I can't really think of a, another celebrity death that had this type of impact. I mean, maybe Michael Jackson, you know, in 2009 uh, was on this level, but it just felt like the world stopped. And that was kind of one of the things that set this story in motion. It was just one year later, what were people's memories and, and how vividly could they remember? And that was, I think, another takeaway was just everybody had a story that was pretty you know, memorable and, and pretty specific. And, and people remembered who told them and when and, and you know what part of the day and kind of what their reaction was and, and who they reached out to and, and uh, you know, trying to confirm it. And it, it was you know, one of those moments that, um, you know, like I uh, personally remember Clippers were on the road in, in Orlando and I had just driven from Miami to Orlando with Andrew Greif uh, of the LA Times. And I remember getting to my hotel room and, and just, you know, opening the door and uh, we had a few hours till game time. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Can I work on a story? Should I relax? And, and just seeing that TMZ uh, notification and, and honestly not believing it at first because there had been and this is something you know a few people said like th there had been other celebrity news and, and, and fake deaths and stuff from tmz and um so you're like is this real what, what's going on and 
you know, you, you felt like Kobe was invincible and, and, and then actually like seeing it was real and uh, having, you know, legitimate outlets and, and, and reporters confirming it and, and double confirming it and it floored me. And I, I didn't even know if I wanted to go to the game, in, even though I was already in Orlando. So I think the vividness that people remember it uh, really stuck out to me because because I, I wasn't sure, you know, when we started this, we weren't sure what we were going to get. You know, we weren't sure what type of form this was going to take. But after talking to so many different people and hearing their stories and, and reading their stories, like it was kind of what I what I thought, which was that everybody remembers this. Yeah, I, th- I think it's the, t- the totality of the voices, you know, I mean, just seeing, you know, kind of this moment frozen in time in the minds of so many people, you know, that, you know, like, like, you, like you said, it, it felt like the world stopped. And, you know, if you can you know, get dozens of people to tell you with the kind of specificity that they did, you know, what they were doing. I think it really helps you understand the, the weight of that moment and the impact it's had on a lot of people's lives. And, you know, I don't need to say this, but like, it's been a very unique year. And, you know, the helicopter crash on January 26th sort of was the first thing that happened in what turned out to be, you know, an unprecedented 12 months. And, you know, the, a, a year that none of us have any any sort of um, life experience to relate it to. I mean, you know, we've all been stuck at home and, you know, so many people have lost their jobs and and it's just been this terrible, terrible time. And part of that story is people talking about how, in what way this tragedy has sort of shaped the year for them. And I remember, you know, we had people say that that we could have used Kobe on the front lines of the, of the Black Lives Matter demonstrations around the country, that he could have been a voice for good in this time. It's really interesting to me the way that people have have processed and felt and felt this loss. So uh, Slater. Yeah, I mean, like I was in Philadelphia. actually. Well, I was at Warriors practice, which, you know, within your story, you guys talked to Steve Kerr and Bob Myers. Um, and I do remember being at that home practice. It was right before I believe it was like a six game East Coast swing, like their last practice before. Um, and it was at a time where it was like there was a, there was some interesting things going on around the Warriors. You know, sometimes you go to practice like, oh, there's some topics today to talk about, right? Right. Um, and then that TMZ news dropped, and we were all kind of like waiting in like, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, the holding pin. And every topic that seemed relevant around the Warriors became irrelevant, like immediately. Um, and they – Steve talked about it in your story. Like they basically canceled practice the moment they heard they were just starting, um, and told everyone to go home. And then they they would go to fly the next day to the East Coast. And like I remember, well, like we didn't have an availability for them until that next night in Philadelphia at a, uh, I think at LaSalle University. Um, and it was, I mean, it was really the only topic around that team for like four or five days, including um, the fact they played in Philadelphia, which we all know Kobe's hometown and um, lower Marion was like visited by a lot of people in in the days after and like murals and different stuff there. And, and even that night that um, Warriors Sixers game, which had, you know, Lakers aren't Lakers are across the country dealing with it a lot deeper and ended up having to cancel their game as as i know you guys know um that just all that entire night a warrior sixers game was all about kobe bryant and 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 the in memory of him and of course like all the teams they did the um 24 second violation to start the game and the eight second violation it's just i that was a crazy aftermath itself and you guys i'm sure have even denser stories about it because you were around the Lakers at the time. But I just, the way it stretched league wide was crazy. 
you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Yeah, I mean, I, I I remember just not knowing if you know they were going to play games around the league, and you know there was Jovan was it the was it the Clippers game that was the first game of the day? I remember there was a, an East Coast game that like tipped off at like you know two two Eastern or something like that. So it was right right after the news broke, and and I, I remember you know kind of I think the Spurs were actually involved in that one. So wherever the Spurs were, yeah, it was the Spurs. Uh, I think it was the first game that was played, and it just you know it was just. You know, I wasn't sure how the league was even going to function, and I just remember for days and days thinking, like, how does basketball ever become the most important thing to the, to the Lakers ever again? Like, how do you ever like watch a game and th- and think about you know side pick and roll actions ever again? How do you ever like look at a rebounding margin and think that matters ever again? And you know, slowly, you know, it things start to get back to normal a little bit, but obviously, I mean, the, the Lakers celebrated Kobe throughout. Uh, the year in in so many in so many ways, and you know the you know by resurrecting the um, the jerseys that he designed in the in the bubble in the playoffs, they tried to win a championship in them, but couldn't do it in Game Five uh, of the finals. Even this year, the Lakers are still breaking their huddles with one, two, three, Mamba. LeBron and Anthony Davis have talked about you know kind of playing with the spirit of Kobe still this year. He will forever be a part of you know their story as Lakers because they were the pillars of this franchise that you know really had to help the Lakers through and the fan base through. I think fans have looked to the Lakers as you know for a little bit of guidance through this. You know, like you know basically kind of paving the way with the grief a little bit. And I think that's why you know people responded so much to. You know, LeBron standing up in a team meeting last year and saying, you know, God gave me wide shoulders for a reason because he's not just putting the, the franchise on on his shoulders last year. I mean, it was it was everybody who was affected by the, the news. Yeah. Any last uh, memories from the, the days after? I mean, I can I, just from afar. I remember watching just the scenes outside Staples Center for for days, weeks. How I mean, how long did it last for that? It became a Kobe like uh, basically shrine out there for a, a long time, really. And this was yeah. pre like coronavirus, where like streets and were shut down and everything. Like pe- like people were just congregating there, basically turn that entire area like you couldn't need, like traffic couldn't go through for a while, right? Yeah, I mean that was a you know pretty intense experience just walking out onto the plaza at LA Live where you know people had written in Sharpie on the plaza and you know it was this very permanent sort of feeling you know shrine to him you know I, I was just looking back here while you were, while you were talking Slater I was curious how long it was before I wrote a story that wasn't about Kobe so the the accident was on the 26th of January and I wrote my first my next six stories were all about Kobe and then on February 7th like I <laughs> I wrote a story about Darren Collison, like it, it, you know, and it, I remember, I remember how strange that felt, 
how strange it felt to be, again, kind of to my earlier point, to be putting any sort of weight to anything else, like that anything else mattered. But like that was the game where Darren Coll- the night where Darren Collison came to the Lakers game and sat with Jeannie Buss courtside and they put him on the big screen and, and the fans cheered because the Lakers needed another point guard. And it, it was so strange to feel like that mattered. Um, you know, but that was what, you know, however many days that is up to, you know, like 11 days um, later, which honestly, in hindsight, doesn't feel like a long time at all. But, you know, it, that is kind of a reminder of how the um, the world does keep moving. Uh, and Slater, since you asked, you guys both told your stories real quick. I guess I'll, I'll share where I was when I found out and how I found out because I was not with the Lakers. I was the Lakers were in Philadelphia. Remember that morning uh, they played the night before and LeBron uh, scored you know, to, to move past Kobe on the all-time scoring list. And I was supposed to be there. Like I had a, a train ticket from New York to Philadelphia to be there. And that week, my wife came down with the flu and she was back at home in LA and she was just as sick as, you know, as she's ever been. And she, um, she and I talked and, you know, it became abundantly clear that where I needed to be was not in Philadelphia to watch LeBron, you know, pass Kobe on the all-time scoring list. So as, you know, as, as tough of a professional decision as that was, uh, when the Lakers went down to Philly uh, for a game on a Saturday night, I actually flew back to Los Angeles. So it was Sunday morning and the Lakers were flying home across the country. You know, the other writers, you know, LA Times, Orange County Register, ESPN, you know, you know the people I travel with generally, they were all on a plane, you know, flying back across the country. And that's where they heard. Um, for me, I was sitting in my living room and watching CBS Sunday morning, like I generally do on Sunday mornings. And Brett Dawson called me and was like, and Brett Dawson, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you know, was, you know, my colleague um, on the beat last season. And, and he called and he, or he texted and he's like, are you seeing this? And I was like, he just, or he said like, I just want to make sure you saw this. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he sent me the link to the TMZ thing. And I remember like my wife was sleeping. She was very sick. You know, we have two kids. And I just like, I remember walking in and waking her up and saying, I'm so sorry to do this to you, but I need to work. They, 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 they're saying Kobe Bryant died and I'm, I just need to figure out if that's true and you know, all that. And I remember like, I don't have a lot of quiet places in my house because um, again, small kids. And uh, I, I remember I locked myself in my baby's nursery and I sat on the floor probably from 11 a.m. until 6 p.m. just updating the news story, you know, talking to people, trying to get information. And I remember like my son who was four at the time, you know, I just turned four, him coming in and like, he could tell I was sad and like, you know, him giving me, you know, like a big hug and like being like, why are you sad? And like, I remember like feeling like, like I needed to explain it to him, you know, but I didn't know how, and I wasn't sure, you know, how, how to make him understand. And, and so, you know, I, I, I did my best, but it's like, you know, that feeling, you know, just, you know, it was just such an emptiness and, and, and not because, you know, I was a huge Kobe fan, but because like my life revolved around that guy for years. And again, not as long as, you know, many other people who covered his entire career. And, you know, I mean, I covered, you know, the last three years of his career. I think he played 101 games, you know, in the time I was Lakers beat writer. So, I mean, that is not a, you know, you know, a significant amount of time relative to all he accomplished. But, you know, when I took the job in L.A., when I moved to Los Angeles, it was with the idea that, you know, it was going to cover Kobe Bryant, you know, and you um, and, and so really, I mean, like so much of this stage of my adult life, you know, has been shaped by by that guy. And, um, you know, he was a, he was a joy to cover. He was a challenge to cover. Um, but, you know, I think he made me better. Um, 
you know, he was a complicated guy. I mean, you had it wasn't always, you know, it was it wasn't always comfortable to try to tell the whole story of who he was. But it's like, you know, just going back, even going back to my childhood, where he, you know, he played a large role in my life as you know this larger than life figure who kept breaking my heart. And then in adulthood, he was somebody I had the opportunity to be around and learn from and sort of um, witness the way he worked and lived. And it, and it just, it was such a tremendous loss um, in that moment. And then obviously the magnet, you know, the scope of the tragedy and all the people who were lost, it just um, was a terribly empty feeling. And I remember, I remember like writing like our news story, which, which was kind of the lead story on The Athletic all day, you know, basically just saying that this had happened and we were updating it with details as they were coming in all day long, finding out, you know, more about who else was on the, on the helicopter. And then I remember it got to be like six or seven o'clock at night. And I just was like, I need to write something that is, you know, more true to me. And I wrote this, I wrote, the, I wrote a piece that like, I, th- I felt, because I thought about this throughout the day, it felt so um, almost intentional that in the weeks before he died, we spent so much time thinking and talking about Kobe because, you know, I mean, obviously the night before LeBron passes him on the all-time scoring list. And so in the buildup to that, we had been talking to people, including Kobe himself, but we had been talking to people about Kobe. And I remember we talked to Dwight Howard in the locker room at Madison Square Garden. Uh, Dwight was in the dunk contest and he hinted that he had already had a conversation with with Kobe about coming and helping him out in the dunk contest. And, you know, there were all these like little like signs from the universe. And I remember just feeling like, it was like it was kind of like a sign, you know. And I'm not, I'm not like a big cosmos, you know, signs sort of guy, but like it did feel like a sign from the universe, you know, to appreciate and you know um, to appreciate Kobe while he was still alive. And then, I mean, in, the most chilling thing that I think happened was after LeBron passed Kobe on the scoring list, Dwight Howard did say that he said like we need to appreciate people while they are alive, and that was you know the night before the the accident. So I mean. Um, you know, it was, you know, there's just a lot about that that feels, you know, almost beyond like human control. So uh, 2020, man, it was a crazy year. And that was uh, certainly the lead into it. Yeah. So. Well, uh, guys, thanks for uh, going down this path with me. I appreciate your perspectives and your thoughts. And we'll do it again next week. We'll talk about the Lakers. They'll be wrapping up a big road trip and we'll, we'll get back to the business of basketball. But on this day, January 26th, the day that, you know, for so many people is not ever going to be just another day. I felt like it was important to talk about Kobe, and I, I appreciate you guys doing it with me. So for Jovan Buha and Anthony Slater, uh, this is Bill Oram. Thank you for listening to the Forum Club.